can't tell you, I can't tell you how many times somebody will ask me something and I have to go to my own book to look it up. Welcome back, everybody, to the DCL Duo podcast. And this evening, we are excited to have Erin Foster from the Unofficial Guides with us. She's the co-author of the Disney Cruise Line Unofficial Guide. And we are excited to have someone come on the show with Erin's expertise to talk to us about Disney Cruise Line this evening. So welcome, Erin. Hi, thanks for having me. So we always like to start things off with what your sort of Disney background is. So can you talk to folks about your experiences with the cruise line, the parks, anything Disney related? Sure. I got started sort of officially in the Disney writing sphere when I was selected to be on the Disney Moms panel in 2008, which was the first year that that happened. So let me back up and people often ask how I got on the mom's panel. So I have three daughters and one and then twins three years later. So they're all, they were all sort of squished together age-wise. And we took them to Disney a lot when they were little because it was the only place that had enough high chairs for my family. And, (laughs) you know, they had high chairs and chicken nuggets and that was pretty much all I could handle. And so we went a lot and, you know, we had friends that would take their kids to like Tuscany and I'm like, I cannot figure out how they do that. But so Disney, Disney World worked really well for us. In my previous lifetime, I was a librarian, so I was very adept at research. And I used things like the unofficial guide to Walt Disney World and some of the sites that were sort of most popular at the time, all ears. And I did a ton of research and we went a lot when my kids were super small. And I became the person in my neighborhood who would like unofficially advise people on what to do if they were going to Disney World. So like, I think literally everybody at my elementary school took me to lunch or coffee at one time or another and got a brain dump. And right. then you're you're basically their free travel agent. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> and so I was reading All Ears Net at one point in 2007, toward the end of 2007. And I saw this ad, Disney's looking for a few good moms. And I like read it to my husband and he's like, duh, sign up for it. Um, <laughs> and so I applied, you know, really, I'm, I'm truly grateful that there were, they didn't tell us the exact number, but they said that well over 10,000 people applied. And I was one of the 12 selected Wow, from various, you know, writing samples and phone interviews and, and that sort of thing. And that really changed the, the course of my, my whole life. At that point, I was very much a stay-at-home mom. I'm, and it gave me a new direction and a new career eventually. So I answered questions on the mom's panel off and on for about four years. They rotate people on and off. And I answered over 11,000 questions on pretty much every aspect of Disney World trip planning. And I got to to go to lots of events, which was really super fun. And I got to meet a lot of other people in the Disney community. You know, Deb Wills from All Ears. And I met AJ from the Disney Food Blog. And I met Len Testa. And I, and I did some work for various of these people at various times. But I ended up really sticking with Len at Touring Plans and the Unofficial Guide. So I think this week is my 11th anniversary writing for Touring Plans. You know, in the in the intervening time, I've been to Disneyland a couple times, not nearly as much as I'd want to. Disney Paris, Hong Kong Disney, Olani. I'm a DVC member, and we've we've done Hilton Head and Vero Beach, and I've done ten Adventures by Disney, which is my oh my god, favorite in, my favorite thing in the world. And then I'm bumping up on twenty or so Disney cruises. So that's 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 my Disney background. All right. So the Disney Moms panel. What what kind of questions did you field on there? It's it's fascinating. 
Uh, literally everything you could think of. I mean, so imagine that, you know, you were going for your first time and you had a neighbor that that knew that had been many times and we were that neighbor for people that that didn't have one. And so it was a lot, you know, it was questions as simple as, you know, what's the height requirement for X or my child has an allergy to this, you know, where can I eat? Or this is my budget, help me decide where to stay to things like how do I propose to my, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend. Wow. Uh, oh, cool. And we did, a, we did a lot of advice for that. One of the uh, mom's panelists, Doug Ingersoll, there are lots of men on the mom's channel, um, basically planned somebody's whole wedding for them on the panel. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. Writing for the mom's panel was a really good education on why people travel and, and what makes people nervous about travel and what makes people happy about travel. How'd you get into Disney Cruise Line? That was Len, Len Testa. So he's he's the the guru of touringplans.com and and has been the co-author of the unofficial guide to Disney World since some point in the 90s, I believe. But he was down there at one at one point when I was down there. You know, we had mutual friends and we just started chatting and he's like, "Hey, when your mom's panel contract is up, do you want to write for the Touring Plans blog?" And so I did and I was I was a often not have been a very prolific contributor to the Touring Plans blog and Len in 2014 decided he wanted to start covering Disney Cruise Line on for touring plans. And he said, asked me if I want to be a co-author of the the new Cruise Line book, which they had the first edition in 2014. So when you started doing the blog with touring plans, was your focus still Walt Disney World then? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had only been on, I want to say like three cruises at that point. And, and, you know, to get up to speed, I went on a few more right away. And then I've, I've, since then I've gone on at least three every year, I think. We had Seth on the show the other day and I asked him this question, just sort of, you know, you're getting to work with a lot of these legendary folks in the Disney community, <laughs> uh-huh. which, you know, frankly, you're now part of that. You know, what's it like working with Lynn and, and others in the community? Okay. I laugh. You're very, you guys are very funny. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. The, these people are real people and they're they're awesome you know i mean I I met AJ well from the food blog on Twitter and we hit it off on Twitter and and we're dear friends in real life now and Len is you know I'm going to start to cry if I talk too much but he's he's a Aww. really good decent human being you know I mean he works mm-hmm. really hard for the Disney community and to make sure that their data is accurate but he treats his staff really well and particularly you know during during this troubling time that we're in right now he's been incredibly gracious and generous he has a good heart it's a nice place to be associated So how long have you been writing the Disney Cruise Line unofficial guide? The first one came out in in 2014 and there have been seven so far. And I've been a co-author the whole time. I think it was maybe three years ago that I sort of became the lead author. Well, and I'm curious, so you were there as a part of the very first guide. What was it like to stand up a brand new edition of the guide related to Cruise Line, which is a fairly different concept for, for Disney? Well, you know, we weren't the first. Passporter did it before us. You know, we looked at the the big unofficial guide to Disney World to see, you know, what are the types of things that people are asking? And we talked to, you know, friends and fellow cruisers and, and that sort of thing. What do you want to know? What do you need to know to plan your vacation? And so we talked to a lot of people and came up with an outline and, and started banging away at the outline. As the guide has evolved over the years, what what is the What's the process like for updating it? How do you pick the sections that need the updates? Does it just go through a wholesale revision every year? What, what's that like? Well, the, every year I now read the entire thing word for word through a couple of times before like big edit season. I spend about six to eight 
weeks a year doing the actual revision, but literally every day of the year I'm doing research. So I subscribe to a couple dozen DCL related Facebook groups and I have Google alerts on all the ships, DCL, some of the ports. Because I was on the moms panel, I have relationships with what is now basically 150 people there that we have our own chat groups and many of them go on cruises and I've met friends on the cruises over the years. So if they come back, I'll ask them questions. If I travel with people with small kids, I'll interview the kids about what's going on in the in the kids clubs and that sort of thing. So I and I subscribe to several cruise-related magazines, periodicals, uh, some cruise-related online newsletters, that sort of thing. So every day I probably spend anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour reading Disney Cruise Line stuff. And I have a scrolling uh, list every every day of things that I want to add. You know, I'll see a lot of questions. I have this much budget or this much time. Should I go to Disney World or Disney Cruise Line? And so we added a section after I saw a lot of that about what are the pros and cons to think about of Cruise Line versus, a, you know, a land-based Disney vacation, that sort of thing. A lot of it's what do I think people need or what, are, what do I think people are not understanding about Disney Cruise Line? And then we'll, we'll add a section about that. Do you have other people who help in the actual sort of research and gathering of information? Yes, I, we've gotten experts. So a neighbor of mine, Allison Singer, is president of the Autism Science Foundation. And I knew she was going on Disney Cruise with her daughter, who is autistic. And so I said, you know, hey, Allison, can I talk to you about this? And she ended up writing a section for us on cruising with family members with autism. Well, I, I definitely have to give a shout out to Allison and to that section. Our son has some special needs and that section is super helpful for parents oh, like good, us. good. Thank you. I'll, I'll tell her. Has researching Disney Cruise Line or cruising on Disney Cruise Line for research, has it changed how you cruise or do you still get lots of enjoyment out of going on the cruise line? Does it feel like work, I guess, is maybe the question I'm asking? Some of both. <laughs> My children are older. They're, uh, I have three daughters. One's 23 and twins twins that are 20 now. And so I try to go with them as much as I can, but their school often prohibits that now. So I'll go with girlfriends or my husband or whatever. And, you know, it's, it's sort of interesting. Sometimes my kids will go off and do something super fun. And I'm like, I need to go like to the open house. Like I need to make sure I know when the open houses are for the kids clubs, because I can't just pop in there randomly. And so if I need to update pictures or that sort of thing. So I am sort of always working every cruise. I have a running list on my phone of notes or people I talk to that sort of thing. And I always, I mean, I think every time I go on a cruise, I take, I want to say at least 5,000 pictures of every menu, every sign, every directional thing, every navigator, you know, every every sheet of paper, every new procedure. When I can, I'll video things just, you know, to have a, to have a record and, and to refresh my memory when I go to the writing stage. Are you sure you don't go to the kids clubs just to wash your hands? Because that's, that's what we do. I love those little like machine things, you know, you dip them in. <laughs> So you've cruised so often now, Aaron. Do folks recognize you on the ships? Does that create any issues with you feeling like you're getting an honest review or anything like that? I have never once been recognized on the ship by anyone who didn't already know me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I went on the fantasy this past New Year's Eve and I ended up, we ended up seeing, I want to say four or five people that we knew, but we knew them in real life. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. it was, that was actually super fun. But no, I've never been recognized on the cruise just as like for being a Disney writer or anything. I, so I'm, I'm very, I'm very anonymous on the cruise. I will say though, I make a point if I'm asking a crew member something that, you know, I think might end up a procedural question or something that might end up in the book, possibly I always identify myself as press just so they're not feeling blindsided. 
And so how much in the book changes year to year, do you think? You know, it's funny. Every year we basically do like 70 typed pages of revisions, but a lot of it is like, that makes it sound worse than it is because a lot of it is like on page X, the price for the spa has gone up $3. Fix it there. You know, that kind of thing. Um, I want to say... The rule of thumb for almost any travel guide is that any year, somewhere between 10 and 20% changes. So a five-year-old travel guide is basically useless. That's the, the rule of thumb for the industry. So, you know, if you're looking at, do I need to buy the new one? If you have the last one and you're generally okay with maybe the price is not being 100% correct, then you're okay. If you're if it's a three-year-old book, enough has changed that you want to get a new one kind of thing. You're playing into Sam's argument as to why I don't need to refresh my collection every year. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> How do you handle the, I mean, there's lots of information about ports and restaurants and almost like ratings of these uh -huh. things. Like, how do you, how do you handle gathering all that well, the, the ports, you know, anybody who's been on any itinerary that I haven't been on, that's one of the things I'll ask them about. What did you do in port? What did you like about it? I mean, at this point between Len and I and the touring plane staff, we've been, I mean, I got to say, there's probably like a, f a handful that we haven't been to ourselves, but not many. And tons of research on any port on lots of other, like I'll go to the library or and I'll look at uh, TripAdvisor and, you know, all that sort of thing. But most of it is sort of firsthand stuff from somebody at, at touring plans or or somebody that I know personally. The restaurants and stuff, the menus change very little, you know, and I, I make sure to order different stuff every time. And my family, I'm, I'm lucky that we have a pretty varied palate among our family. So I make sure everybody gets something different. You know, every like second or third cruise, I'll order, even though I don't have little kids with me anymore, I'll talk to my serving team and I'll say, look, I want you to bring me, you know, one of the kids meals at every meal so I can photograph it and taste it and make sure it's what I thought it was. And, you know, I want to make sure that the, the quality is what we think it is. And we also have um, surveys that people who have used the book and who have been on cruises fill out. And so we get a lot of input from our readers who will send us emails that said, you know, this was my experience with my staff, good or bad. This was the, the food was not what you said. Another great resource that I, I can't believe I haven't mentioned yet is Scott Sanders from the Disney Cruise Line blog. He has been a great ally of ours. And he follows literally everything on Disney Cruise Line and he contributes to the book a little bit. For the food tasting, we like to joke that we order, you know, a dish each for ourselves and then one for the table. Only one for the table. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it's, you know, one, sometimes it's two, but we, we do like to order extra so we can just try something. Right, exactly. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's actually one of the best things about Disney Cruise Line is that one of the questions we see a lot is people have are nervous about the food. You know, they're, everybody has different levels of what they think is adventurous or not. One of the great things about Disney Cruise Line is that there's really no repercussions from not liking something. You know, you're not paying anymore. They'll bring you another one immediately. You can get six of this or none of that. And it's a great, great place to expose kids to new foods because if they don't like it, literally there's nothing that bad that happens. Well, and from a food review standpoint, you can just say, bring me one of everything on the menu. And, 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 sure. and I often have, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious on the dining side, have you tried on the cruise line any of the, you know, like sometimes you'll see families that come on board and they won't even order stuff off the menu. They, they're ordering like, I just want family style of whatever type of food. And because I've seen people come out with plates of stuff that are clearly just being made for that family, right? And I'm wondering, have you ever tried any of that stuff? So, a couple of times, not not super often, but my husband often will order stuff from like not the restaurant that we're in. I think what you're seeing sometimes is 
they have they have food for the crew. Like they'll often have like Indian food or, you know, different ethnic things that are not on the menu for the guests. And if somebody comes in and says they are a vegetarian and they've already had the vegetarian things on the menu several times, they'll be like, oh, we have this thing for the crew. Do you want that? And they'll bring it up for the guest. I don't do that super often, but yeah. And then dessert too, like generally like a bowl of fresh fruit is not on the dessert menu. But lots of times my daughter will say like, I just want some strawberries for dessert. Can I have that? And they'll you know, that's usually very easy to accommodate. I'm notorious for ordering dessert off of a different restaurant's menu, like because I'm obsessed with the sticky date pudding. And so I'll have that, you know, four nights in a row. Even Twice. If it's, cool. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so to go back for a second on the, the reviews and the ratings. So have you, Port Excursions is another place where there's just a lot of information in the yeah. book and it makes, have you just done a lot of these Port Excursions? I've done a lot of them. Um, and, you know, and I'll, I'll, make it a point to if I if there's a new one or one I haven't done like I try very hard not to repeat Mm -hmm. or there have been a few times where you know somebody else and I have both done the same one on purpose to make sure that we had the same opinion of it and again we get letters and ratings from readers all the time and so a lot of it is that as well. Do you have a favorite section of the guide Erin one that like you just particularly love reading editing like that? Well, dining's always fun, you know. <laughs> uh, nothing, nothing wrong with dining. Um, I, no, I I like the part actually where we talk about um, DCL for different categories of people for, you know, babies, people with allergies, people with weight issues, you know, smokers, that sort of thing. Because I it sort of reminds me of working on the mom's panel where you have to get into somebody else's mindset about what's going to be important to them. So, you know, I don't have babies anymore, but I really like to know what somebody with babies is concerned about on a cruise. You know, what do they need to bring? How, how are they concerned about the space? What can they do with their kid? Can they relax? What's it like to be in a teeny tiny cabin with X number of children of this age, that sort of thing. So it helps me to get in their mindset about, you know, what's important to them. So I, I find that part sort of intellectually interesting. And you've mentioned the guide's connection with touring plans a, a bunch. I, I will admit, I have personally not really used the touring plan site for Disney Cruise Line. Are there resources there that maybe I'm missing or how, how would folks use the touring plan site for, for, D, for DCL? There's a, there's a lot of overlap. Uh, the main thing that's on DCL on the sorry on touring plans that's not in the book is the the price tracker. So it'll tell you you know the exact price and when the prices are supposed to go up and what's what's the right day to book your trip and that sort of thing. So that's the the main feature that's on the website that's not in the book. That makes sense because that that has to be kept more up to date probably right. than the book throughout the year throughout the course of just a year, right? Right. And um, when when there are new itineraries, they get updated to the site faster than they do to the book because the book only gets printed once a year. Karen, is there anything about the book that we haven't touched on that you just think? people need to know? You know, I think a lot of what's good about the book is that I think we do a pretty good job of explaining the terms so that people don't necessarily know even what things like starboard and port are, but what, what is an excursion? What is the navigator? What is, you know, what is the key to the world card? What, you know, what to expect? So people are not afraid, you know, I mean, cruising is new to a lot of people. And so, yes, can I bring my hairdryer? Can I not bring my hairdryer? What is a room really going to feel like that sort of thing? So, you know, it's sort of, I like, I like that we demystify things a lot for people. 
So shifting gears a little bit, Aaron, you're kind of a DCL expert. 20 cruises, I think you said, under your belt. And so you've experienced a lot of what the cruise line has to offer, even beyond just writing the book and interviewing folks. So we, we definitely want to take advantage of having you on for some of your just more personal opinions. So, you know, feel free to fully uh, fully divorce and say this is, this is <laughs> no way an opinion of the unofficial guy. We just really want to get your personal take on some things. So, okay. you know, as, as you're thinking about planning a DCL cruise or going on a DCL cruise, my first question would be like, what's your sort of personal advice to folks about when they should be looking to book their cruise? I think a lot of people try to book like that opening day. Is that the right strategy? That is what absolutely you- the right strategy. In fact, and and when I w- sat down to talk to you guys, I, I put a sticky in the book. Um, there is a section uh, early on part two of the, of the book, the saving money section where Len and his statistical wonder has uh, done all this research and like he has these models that that's his part. I, that's his part that he does of the book. He does, he tracks when is the, what are the price trends for the cruises? Mm-hmm. And he does it for several samples. You know, he does a, a four night Bahamian on the dream and a seven night Western Caribbean on the fantasy and a, and a seven night Alaskan on the wonder and tracks how the prices are from the, you know, the day they're released a year and a half out until like 10 days before. And you can see there is some variation, but to the letter, you're going to get the best price in the first few days that the the itinerary is released. Yeah. Well, and it's it's a place where I think Disney Cruise Line is very different from some other cruise lines that offer sales and, you know, those sorts of things or, you know, promotions yeah, or giveaways yeah. or, you know, freebies, those yeah. those sorts of things to try and encourage, you know, filling up a ship. It's, it's that there's a huge demand for these cruises right now from for Disney, they only have four ships out on the sea. Right. So it's it's not yeah. a lot of supply. How, how do you, so I, I know one thing Sam and I look at now that we've been on six Disney cruises now, we're always looking for like, what's the new thing, right? What's the new itinerary? Is that something that you kind of watch out for too? And and how do you how do you spot those? Well, you know, I, I mean, I track every time there are new itineraries released and I do research on the new ports right away. Personally, I got to say this and, you know, people will, will hate me. I'm not a beach person myself. And so <laughs> really strange. As I write about cruises, but I love like the European ones and the Alaska and that sort of thing. So I'm always really jazzed when there's like a new European one. And then two summers in a row, we sailed out of Copenhagen, once down towards the Iceland Dover route, and then once toward the, the Russia route. And those were amazing, amazing itineraries. So I tend to do the weirder ones and Len does a lot more of the Caribbean ones. Although he did, he did when they went to Quebec two years ago, he did that one, but I did the different Atlantic Canada one. You know, he's, he's He's, he did the Hawaii cruise, but I went, I spent more time at Olani, you know, I mean, so we sort of break it up. What, what is your favorite length of cruise? You know, I don't love those super short ones because I feel like it takes a day or two to get into your rhythm. And then, you know, I've done, I think the longest one I did was 11 nights. That was maybe a day or two too long, but I think, you know, seven, eight nights is, is really good. It, you finally are able to relax after a couple of days. And um, I like a cruise that has a good two or three sea days in there because there's not much pressure to like feel like you have to run around. So like, let's say you are on a European cruise and you're, you know, you're, you're porting in near Monte Carlo or Villefranche or, or whatever it is. Like you feel like you want to get off the ship the first second that they dock and see all the fun things. Whereas if you have a sea day, you're like, I have nothing to do except eat and, you know, sleep and read my my book and do my crossword and that sort of thing. So it's a good balance, you know. 
Are you a fan of the specialty cruises? And what I mean by that is like one of the holiday cruises, like the Halloween or the Christmas themed or Star Wars or Marvel or Frozen or, you know, do you like those? I've done, I've been on board two New Year's Eves on Christmas Day, on Easter Day, on 4th of July for a Frozen one. So I've done many of these. I like them. I would not personally pay extra money specifically to do that. You know, so for instance, you know, my kids are in college and we can mostly travel as a family during the winter holidays. So we're paying the premium to be together as a family. I wouldn't necessarily pay the premium simply to see the Christmas tree on board. What about the, what about like the Marvel or Frozen or Star Wars Days at Sea? Are those interesting to you personally or or have you heard feedback from people that are, I love these? I've done the Frozen, been on board for the Frozen one twice. I would love, and I have not yet had an opportunity to do the Star Wars one. I think that would be fun. Um, It's interesting that, you know, people are, I often hear the opposite of, I'm not a Star Wars fan. Can I go on the Star Wars one? And, you know, it's, it's pretty much limited to one day. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you can avoid it if you want to. There are people who, like I have a dear, dear friend who is Marvel obsessed and specifically went on the Marvel one and he had a great time taking pictures and that sort of thing. But if you're not super into it, you can avoid it, that sort of thing. It's fun. You know, it's fun. It's fun to see the fun menu stuff. Mm -hmm. There's like all the scavenger hunts and the characters that you can't normally meet, that sort of thing. But again, it it, a lot depends on the price. You know, I mean, would you pay an extra $100 or $200 for that? Sure. Would you spend an extra $2,000? thousand dollars to get a picture with Black Panther. That really depends on your budget. <laughs> what do you think the calculation is, Aaron, for folks as they, I mean, it's probably personal and individual. And so there may not be an answer to this question, but as you think about laying pause, classic versus, you know, newer ships, the destinations, those sorts of things, like how would you prioritize those for maybe a, a, a person new to Disney Cruise Line versus someone who's sailed a lot? You know, someone who's sailed a lot might have a a checklist in their head. Oh, I've been on the Fantasy and the Dream. Maybe I want to try one of the smaller ships, that sort of thing. For somebody new, Len and I have actually very different opinions about this, which I'm pretty sure we mentioned in the book. I prefer the smaller ships for somebody new because I find them to be not as not as overwhelming. I think that the experience on Castaway Key is better when you're on one of the smaller ships. Len very much feels the opposite, that the fantasy is the best for new people because they can see the whole wide range of things. You know, if there's any possibility they'll be bored, there's less likely that they'll encounter that because there's, there is more to do. Generally, though, I would say not a three-night because, like I said earlier, it's, it's hard to get into a rhythm with a three-night and you want to be able to to see see the flow of things. You want to maybe get to a, one of the main dining rooms a second time to see, oh, it's a different show and the food's not all the same. You can't get quite a feel for it. The thing we recommend in the book is one that I did last year, which is a five night that has a double dip at Castaway Key. There's usually one or two of those a year. That's like the ideal first cruise um, experience for somebody new. Whatever you choose, you need to be prepared. You know, figure out what there is to do and then also have alternatives. So, you know, if you've got I don't know, say a six-year-old kid and you're going on your first cruise and you're envisioning the entire time you'll be at the adult pool and at the spa and your kid's going to be in the kids club, maybe have an alternative vision in your head. What's your advice for folks as they sort of think about rooms on board this ship? I personally... I'm a terrible sleeper out in the world. And the only place I sleep well is on the cruise. Like, no joke. Like, like I'm actually being tortured right now this week. Like, my anxiety about the universe at large. And, and I was like, I would give any money to be in an inside cabin on the dream asleep right now. <laughs> you know? um, so, so I find the dark quiet of the inside cabins to be really, like, 
emo- like womb-like emotionally soothing for me. You know, and that's great for, you know, a three or four night cruise. I'm not sure I would want an inside cabin for like the 11 night European cruise. That might be a little claustrophobic. You know, it's funny that when you talk about Alaska, we did not have a balcony for Alaska or a veranda. And I want to say that was an okay choice because it's cold. You know, I mean, so you're, you can stand outside on, you know, deck four or deck nine or 10 or whatever and see the the glaciers and see the seals and see all the cool stuff. But you're not necessarily going to spend hours and hours and hours on your veranda like you might if it were, you know, 75 degrees with a nice breeze in the Caribbean. So again, it depends on your budget. Like the, the is it worth it question is one of my like most vexing things that I think about when people ask <laughs> about any, any Disney related things because people talk about the spa. Is the spa worth it? I'm, I hate spas. Like I'm not a spa person and my husband loves it. So to, you know, $150 massage is not worth it to me because I don't want some stranger pawing my body. My husband is like, this is the best, most relaxing thing I've ever done in my life. And he would like gladly fork over twice the amount of money. And so is it worth it is so subjective to me that I like I really hesitate to even answer it sometimes. The veranda can be can be great if it's in your budget, but I wouldn't say it's a deal breaker if you can't get one or don't want to get one or don't want to pay the money. You know, there's 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 lots of ways to have a great Disney Cruise Line experience, no matter what sort of cabin you're in. I love your spa analogy because Brian and I have kind of different takes on the spa. We both like the spa, but I like it for massages or other treat individual treatments. And he likes the rainforest room, which I hate. <laughs> and so it's just funny that like I I won't pay any amount for that stupid right. rainforest right. bath. Right. But I'm happy to fork over $150 <laughs> for a hot stone massage. You know. Yeah, no, my husband loves the rainforest thing. Although I have to say they raised the prices quite a bit lately and he's a little less enthusiastic. He used to get the whole cruise and now he's like, oh, maybe I'll just do it one or two days. You know, particularly if you you have a an itinerary that's it's intensive with port adventures and, and that sort of thing. Because if you're not going to be able to take advantage of the rainforest room, you know, every day, then it might not be worth it to get the the entire cruise package. Yeah, I'm 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 supportive of that strategy. I've I've done the whole cruise thing before and now I I usually just get a day or two yeah. in there because you can't you can't really use it the whole right. the whole time or yeah it, it, it starts to feel like work like okay I got to go to the rain right <laughs> <laughs> um, sticking with staters for one more second have, have you sailed concierge and how did you how did you feel about the you know I won't ask you the is it worth it kind of question <laughs> but how do you feel how do you feel about the value of of that I have sailed concierge and and Len has sailed concierge a lot more than I have it's cool it's really cool. <laughs> um, I was in a one bedroom stateroom on the magic and, and it was, it, it just feels bigger. It feels luxurious and it's great. And there are people that will help you with pretty much anything you want. Again, it depends on how much money you're spending. I was, I did one cruise on the dream with just one of my daughters and we found out that the price, the price difference between, you know, a, a regular veranda stateroom and the concierge was, I think it was like $700 for like a, oh, oh, wow. and it was like, it was like that, you know, that's not such a big bite of our, our overall travel budget that that might be worth it. It might be fun to like really be pampered for a few days. There are some of those European ones on the magic where the price difference between, you know, a regular veranda and concierge is twelve, fifteen, eighteen thousand dollars. Like, you know what? I don't need to be pampered quite that much. 
<laughs> Especially if it doesn't matter for getting a cabana, right? Like if it, right, if, right. If, if, if you can't, if you're not going to Castaway Key anyway, right? right, so. right. <laughs> the other tip I've heard is if you're sailing and you're going to get multiple staterooms, right? There are at least on the classic ships, there were some like two bedroom suites. And sometimes those can be more cost effective if what you're trying to do is get parents and kids and, you know, maybe grandma all into right, a room. right. It's not that much more to stay concierge and then you're getting this extra pampering and, and, and all that sort of stuff. I, I've always struggled with it personally because we love to use the amenities on the ship. We don't stay in our stateroom very much. And so it's sort of like, uh, I don't know if I'm going to use this lounge. I'd rather be out in Cove right, Cafe or right. something. It depends yeah. on who you're sailing with. Like if you are sailing with somebody, you know, grandma who has limited mobility, maybe they might enjoy the extra attention. Or if you're sailing for a honeymoon or a big birthday or a family reunion or that sort of thing, you know, do I like it? Would I do it again? Absolutely. What I do, I do it every trip. No, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's not necessarily an effective use of money every time. So Aaron, what do you think about the Facebook groups? Disney's sort of infamous for these Facebook groups that I, I don't think many or any other cruise lines I'm aware of, at least the ones that we've sailed on, have had those kinds of forums and connection points for people who are sailing. What's your thought on the Facebook groups? Do you join them? Do you use them? Those sorts of things. So I I, I do join them mostly because I'm doing research. And so, you know, I don't participate as super much, but it's, I like to see what people are concerned about and what people are talking about. For your basic, you know, again, three or four night on the dream, it's, you know, unless you're super nervous about sailing, I I don't think it's, it's all that worth it. I have found it very helpful on some of the ones, again, the European ones where people are talking about, oh, I saw a great rate on a flight to Europe on this airline. Hey, you might want to jump on it, things like that, you know, where, where there are lots of things that are unrelated to Disney where people can can help. Right, like a port transfer. Right, like port that. transfers or a hotel in a particular port city or or that sort of thing or, you know, travel before and after the cruise. Those can be really helpful for that. Or sometimes people will get to know each other in the Facebook groups and they'll arrange for a liquor tasting together that, you know, to do or, or some, you know, private character meet and greet. And I've been to a few of those that have been interesting. You know, it, it, it depends on what you're trying to get out of it on the scale of introvert to extrovert. I'm, I'm personally more on the introvert side, but lots of people are very extroverted. And, you know, the, one of the reasons that they sail is to, to make friends. And that's a great way to start to meet people in advance if, if that's what you're interested in doing. We found it effective. Well, I I made a friend through one of the Facebook groups who had a who had a son of a similar age to my to our son, mm-hmm. and it helped get our son to go to the kids club because then this friend that he you know made in about five seconds on the like first day of the cruise was going to be at the kids club too. Perfect. So that you know, what? you know, I'm I'm writing that down. Um, <laughs> that's a perfect tip. Absolutely. Yeah, we've found it most effective. So I I think our first cruise, it was effective just to learn about kind of what it was going to, the experience was going to be like. But also we had an 11 night cruise and more recently we were supposed to be going on a cruise in September out of Dover that we've kicked out by a year. But the, the groups where it's like, this is new to us going on the cruise internationally out of Dover. How do we get there? You know, what are the mm-hmm. things that we should be thinking about? Or the 11 night cruise, like what are these shore excursions? What are people thinking about? What's selling out because we aren't platinum and that cruise is step. So like that, that's an interesting yeah. use of the Facebook right. groups. Yeah, absolutely. The, the thing I, I, should caution people is that they're often on Facebook bullies 
you know, that this is the yeah. way you have to do something. And yeah. if anybody is pressuring you, like, like you absolutely have to do this activity or you absolutely have to go on this, you know, excursion or whatever, I would take anything like that with a huge grain of salt because people have great vacations, three nights on the, you know, an inside stateroom and not ever leaving the ship. And people have great times on 11 nights in concierge and doing every possible thing and everything in between. And if somebody tells you there's only one way to do something, they're wrong. Yeah. Like for us, I would say my favorite itinerary is definitely a seven night. But if you can only afford to go on a four night, I would, the four night's great. There's nothing wrong with it. Yes. Shore excursions, Erin, you've got a lot of great information in the book about shore excursions. I'm curious on your take between do the Disney excursion, book your own excursion. I often will do the Disney ones because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of being left behind. I'm, And I know that it's been vetted by Disney. Often there are uh, language issues if you're trying to book something yourself uh, in a foreign port. There are cancellation policy issues, which in this day and age is a really big deal. Um, so if you've booked, you know, a, a fishing thing with some independent sailboat operator in the Caribbean and the cruise is canceled, you might be on the hook to them for the whole, at least the whole deposit, if if not the whole fare that you might have had to pay in advance. Whereas if Disney cancels the sailing, they're going to refund your money. And so, you know, or you won't be on the hook for it. So those are things absolutely to think about. If you're a huge sailor that has been to a lot, you know, I've been to Nassau, I don't even know how many times now, like I've traveled, even when I wasn't on Disney Cruise Line, my family visited Nassau and it's like, I, I don't, I don't need to do a lot of new things in Nassau. So now when I go there, we try to walk around to different parts of the island or that sort of thing. You know, and it depends on, again, who you're traveling with. Are you traveling with little kids? Are you traveling with an older adult? Is it a tender port that can make a difference? You know, is, and you want to look at the excursions and see, you know, what, what age group is this appropriate for? What's the uh, activity level? Are there things that are included or not included that you care about, like pictures with dolphins or lunch or that sort of thing that might make the price different between Disney and booking it independently. The other interesting tip sometimes is that people forget you can just stay on the ship while you're in port. Absolutely. And sometimes that's yeah. Sometimes that's magical because the ship is empty and you get the run of the place and you can walk onto the aqueduct. aqueduct all the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, or you can see one of the, you know, one of the movies that's showing in the theater without it being crowded, particularly if it's one of the new movies. You know, right. there's a Absolutely. lot of still. So let's skip over to Castaway Key. I'm curious, you know, you've probably experienced a cabana. It seems like there's a ton of, you know, chatter about cabanas. It's the thing that everybody wants to get. We've had, we've had one. We've, we've, we've experienced one ourselves. What's your, what's your thinking about cabanas? You know, again, it depends on, are, are they awesome? Yes, of course. They're awesome. Um, <laughs> it depends on um, who you're going with, what your budget is, that sort of thing. I've, I've had a cabana once with a, a group of girlfriends and that was really fun because we had our own private space to like just not have anybody we could all almost sort of like sit in a circle in a way that we couldn't do it on the beach, like the way the chairs were configured. So we could really like chat deeply um, as and, and, and more privately and, and that sort of thing. And depending on who we were all sort of chipped in together. And so we were all going to, you know, do rent the snorkels and rent the floats and that sort of thing. And if you're going to do all that and buy soft drinks and that sort of thing, the price premium, if you're splitting it among a bunch of different people, doesn't feel as odious as like one family plunking down, you know, 
$600 or whatever it is. My family and I were all over 18 now. So two New Year's ago, we were able to get a cabana on Serenity Bay for my family, which was more like in the like 400 and something range. And that was, that was really good. You know, like we got our own private space and we got, one of the best parts was they gave us a golf cart ride from you know, like straight there back <laughs> to the ship. And it was like, I'm like, I'm telling my husband, tip him an extra 20 bucks, you know, like <laughs> just, just for the golf cart ride. Yeah. I mean, it's incredibly competitive. You're going to have a little bit better luck on the smaller ships and you're going to have better luck if you're, you know, obviously on, on concierge or, or platinum. But, you know, I'm, I've been platinum for a long time and that doesn't at all guarantee me that I'm going to get a cabana. It's not even, not even by a long shot. You know? So it's something, you know, if you get it, feel happy, but don't plan your trip around it and don't assume that you're going to get one because you probably won't. I think another question that crops up a lot, Erin, is folks who are saying like, should I really go on a Disney cruise? Just It's just adult. What you're thinking there when somebody's saying, well, is Disney really for adults? Isn't it just for families? There's plenty of adult spaces. You know, there's the the bars and the adult pool and, and adult only activities. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's up to it's up to you. Like if you're somebody who is offended by seeing a child or seeing Mickey Mouse, then no, it's not for you. <laughs> um, and there are people like that. And or if you're somebody who just wants to, you know, gamble or you know, drink the night away or or dance nonstop every night. It's not the cruise line for you there, you know, and that's, and that's fine. But I'm, you know, I like things relatively quiet and, you know, it's funny, I'm saying quiet about a, a cruise line with a zillion kids, but unless you're, unless you're on the pool deck, it is pretty quiet because it's families that are not partying. And, and occasionally you'll see sort of, you know, somebody who's had a few too many, but it's, it's pretty relatively uncommon and people are respectful and, um, you know, it's, it's a safe space, particularly, you know, I've often gone on Disney cruise line with groups of women friends and we feel incredibly safe and we don't feel pressured to to drink or to you know interact with people that we don't want to and so it, from that perspective you know it's it's a great place for adults to to travel probably should have asked this question as a part of the book topic but you know Disney cruise line where where does it compare with other cruise lines in your sort of opinion I know you guys talk about it in the book and compared a lot to Royal Caribbean how do you think about that comparison across the different cruise lines you know Royal Caribbean has is probably the most comparable in that they are trying really hard to cater to the families like Disney is on on many of their newer ships with, you know, kids clubs and, and kids entertainment and that sort of thing, which is why we've highlighted that particular aspect. But, you know, there, there are some that are more low cost party ships and there are some that are sort of, you know, more luxury upscale, you know, with a, an average age that's of sale of a cruiser that's in, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s even. So again, it, you know, you want to do your research on, you know, you can find a cruise that's a lot less money than Disney, but it might be filled with spring breakers or it might be filled with retirees. And so, you know, understand what it is you're buying. I, I really liked that section with the sort of who wins and who loses on all the different topics and comparing Disney to Royal Caribbean on, because there were, there were some surprises there, I would say. Um, so I won't, I won't give any spoilers. Um, I <laughs> well, think we that- about like ease of booking and, um, yeah. you know, that, that sort of thing too, sort yeah. of the, me the mechanics of, of, you know, what's, what's good and, and what's not as good on, on different cruise lines. You've had some extensive sort of time now with the cruise line. What have you seen change over the years and what's your, you know, what's your thought about sort of the direction around the, that the cruise line's heading, I guess? You know, they, they, they go into the ships go into dry dock every couple of years and they update the the restaurants and some of you know adult bar spaces and they update the shows quite a lot 
that's that's one of the things that I've seen. I find the show the show is very interesting. That my my other non Disney hobby is I live about twenty miles outside of New York City, and I'm I'm incredibly passionate about Broadway, and I see literally every Broadway show, and I probably go to two live theater performances a week when I'm not traveling. And the shows have changed a lot. And so back when I first cruised, you know, more than a decade ago, almost all of the shows were these jukebox things that were very much geared toward just the children. So it was like they tried to get in, uh, you know, the, the greatest hits of the last uh, 10 movies or whatever. And it was like the most contrived plot possible to like get these songs in just to appeal to the kiddos or whatever. And the shows now are much, you know, they're, they're based obviously on Disney films, but the effects are really incredible. And mm-hmm. uh, I think the caliber of the actors has gone up quite a bit. And, you know, I, f- I feel like they've made really great strides in the, in the entertainment area. And so that's one thing that I'm super happy about. Where do I think they're going? Who knows what's going to happen with the, with the, the new ships, yeah. but I'd love to see uh, staterooms for larger families. It's, I'm part of a, a family of five and it's always a challenge. Like, do we, do we, you know, that was one of the reasons why we initially sailed concierge was because it was one of the few uh, staterooms available on a particular sailing that had room for five in one cabin. And then, you know, do we get connecting staterooms? Do we get, you know, a different lower, now that my kids are older, do we get a lower level stateroom for the, for my teens or my young adults? And then I, one thing I would love to see on the new ships is more active outdoor spaces like rock climbing wall or something, you know, more, more things where younger people can run around. I mean, it's sort of interesting to me that the, um, the, the gym facilities are really only for 18 and up. So even if you have like a high school athlete, they can't use the weights. Even with a parent, which they can do, like say at the, at the Disney resorts um, in Florida, you could go with a parent if you're 14, but you can't even do that on the ship. So it's it's really hard. Like if you're a high school athlete, there's not a lot of places for you to get some real exercise other than, you know, running around the deck or maybe shooting some hoops if you can find some people to, uh, you know, to get up a game with you. So I'd love to see some more active spaces for younger people. Are there any tips or tricks that you found sailing aboard Disney that are sort of not obvious that you 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 wish more people knew about? Well, one thing that's always fun for like a somebody who's relatively new to sailing is to surprise their family with room service for like dessert. So, you know, like a lot of new sailors don't know that you can get Mickey bars pretty much at any hour just by picking up the phone. So um, that's always like, you can be a real hero to your kids on one of your first sailings. And just like, there's a knock at the door and all of a sudden there's a guy there with like warm chocolate chip cookies or Mickey bars or something, you know, like, like that makes you... a real hero for the $3 cost of tipping the guy at the door, you know? I mean, so, so that's super fun. I'm a big person on, on, uh, hacks at the, um, like the quick serve restaurants up on, on the pool deck. So, you know, to make, uh, like an ice cream sandwich out of the soft serve plus chocolate chip cookies or, you know, to create a float from the soda and the soft serve, that sort of thing is always really fun. Is there anything you're especially excited for about the, the, the new ships, Aaron? you know, I'm just curious. I've been waiting for years now, just like everybody else. I'm dying to see, you know, what, what are the, what's going to be in the lobby? What's, what are the themes going to be on the, on the entertainment? What are, you know, what are the restaurants going to be like? I'm just, you know, I've, I've, I've spent hours speculating and daydreaming with my family and, you know, people that I work with and that sort of thing, but we honestly don't know. So we're just excited like everybody else to see what's going to happen. Well, I think we'll shift gears now over to the rapid fire questions. Sam, you love doing those. So why don't you, why don't you take rapid fire. Yeah. So 
Erin, this is a little part of our show where we like to ask you what your favorites are. And so this one is Disney Cruise focused. Okay. Except the first the first few questions are just kind of general. So the first one is what is your favorite Disney or Pixar character? Uh, I think I'm going to go with Eeyore because, you know, he's just he's not afraid to show his emotions and people love him anyway. Oh, I love that. That's a great one. And what is your favorite Disney or Pixar movie? I'm going to go with Beauty and the Beast. You know, Belle, Belle is a girl who loves books. And in my previous life, I was a librarian. So she's, she speaks to me. Aww. What's your favorite Disney song? Oh, I don't know. Gosh, there's so many. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, uh, they've been doing these um, sing-along things on, on you know, mm-hmm. TV during this whole quarantine. And it's like, everyone is like, that's my favorite. No, that's my favorite. But I'm, I'm going to have to go with, like, we're all in this together from High School Musical. Oh, because, yeah. Because it's my, one of my daughter's favorites. And it jazzes her so much every time. And she'll do the whole dance. And it just brings her such great joy that it brings me joy. So. <laughs> so fun. What's your favorite Disney ship? I'm going to go with the magic because I like the itineraries uh, so much on the magic. Yeah. What about your favorite rotational dining? I think I like the food at usually like the, the, the Lumiere's or the, the, the fancy French one. Cause, cause we always get the escargot, which is like, you know, decadent. Uh, but I, I, you know, I love animators palette just to see the entertainment there. It's always fun. So Brian didn't have this on his original list, but I had to add it when you said you were a Broadway aficionado. I, I am as well, although we live in the Seattle area, so I have to see the national tours instead, but what is your favorite show on the cruise? Let's see. I, th- I love the new Frozen one, actually. And I also like Tangled. I love the effect of the lanterns in the audience. I think that, you know, the new shows are all really, really well done. I'm, I'm very pleased with the way they've, they've taken those. Yeah, we haven't seen Tangled because we haven't been on the magic yet. But I was obsessed when I saw the new, Be- the new Beauty and the Beast show. That w- I thought that was incredible. But I also think, you know, Aladdin was great and Frozen is a great show as well. Favorite adult dining experience? I'm going to assume you've been to Palo and Ranch. I have, yes. Um, you know, I think my family would say Palo Brunch, just because there's so much and it's all so good and you can, everybody gets what they want, that sort of thing. We did Remy Brunch recently, this past New Year's, and I think three of the five of us loved it. And one of, one, I think one of my daughters was not like hungry enough that day. And the other daughter is a relatively picky eater and she was very overwhelmed by Remy. You know, there weren't enough options. Even like Remy did dinner, you can sometimes choose like a fish or a beef, that kind of thing. Remy brunch is a, is a very set menu. And unless you're into that set menu, it's, it's challenging. But Palo brunch, I mean, Palo dinner is great too, but Palo brunch, the, the spread is just incredible and overwhelming. And I think, you know, we did that also in this past, past cruise I was on. And, you know, we, I think we hugged and cried the, with the server at the end, you know, it's like, <laughs> it such a moving experience. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. We- <laughs> Absolutely. We, we put Palo Brunch as number one also. And, and I would say we put Remy Brunch as number four uh-huh. in the order. Yeah. And we, we would go our order, I think for Brian and I is Palo Brunch, Remy Dinner, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Palo, Palo Dinner, yep. Remy yep, Brunch. I agree. That, I think that's the way I would place them as well. Favorite port. Favorite port. Okay, so sentimental um, here. I'm going to go with with Copenhagen, mostly because, well, this is my my personal story, but you know, we did that twice, two two summers in a row. But my daughter, the one that likes High School Musical, um, she fell in love with Copenhagen 
hard when we, when we sailed out of there. And she like so hard that when she was 15, she said, this is where I'm going to study abroad during college. And she oh, did. Cool. And she was there and got called home early because of the coronavirus. But um, she, oh. she fell in love and decided that's where she wanted to study. And she did. And for, you know, two months, it was supposed to be four months, but for two months. And she was even more passionate about it after she stayed there. And she's like, I want to I want to go back and maybe work there after I graduate. So, you know, it was a just a cruise line gave my daughter like a, a passion in her life. So. What's your favorite port adventure? The favorite port adventure I did was in Alaska on the um, Mendenhall Glacier. We took a helicopter and we flew onto the glacier to go dog sledding. And it was like we were landing on the ice planet Hoth. Like it was, you get closer <laughs> and closer and you would see the dogs and they, like the, they're in these sort of these like igloo doghouse things. And it was not, I had never experienced anything like that. And it was like a whole other, it, was, it felt like you were on another planet for real. And it was a truly spectacular day that we were there. And, you know, at the end, they give you puppies to play with. And this was my oldest daughter. Um, and she was like, I'm in heaven. I'm in ice heaven with the puppies, you know? So that was a really magical experience. What's your number one favorite itinerary that you've sailed? Uh, um, I would say it was the Northern European where we went to um, Estonia and Russia, mostly because I know I would never go to Russia any other way. And it was, uh, you know, insight into a part of the world that I was quite unfamiliar with. And it was a really easy, great way to see it. So very, very educational too, you know. Is there an itinerary that you've seen them do in the past that you wish they'd bring back? Well, they, you know, they had Greece and then it went away for about five years and it was, it's supposed to come back this summer and who knows what's actually happening with it. So, you know, I would like to see that become a more permanent part of the schedule. And then, you know, nobody knows yet what's going to happen with, you know, the new ships. So there's a lot of speculation that they would send, say, the magic to Asia and then, you know, maybe one of the, one of the other ships would do Europe. And then, so that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, there are certainly other parts of the world where Disney doesn't cruise to the, you know, in, in, in the east eastern part of the world so that would be great if they added that okay what's your favorite onboard food and this could be any food across <laughs> the ships I know that's a really hard one. There's a lot to choose. A lot to choose. Um, you know, I just like that it's that it's there, you know. It <laughs> 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 might be my I favorite. Like that it's there. Um you know, I mean, we, we like, we only get escargot on Disney Cruise and that's fun. You know, I mean, is it my favorite thing to eat? No, but it's sort of a ritual fun, you know, and then it's fun to go get chicken nuggets at the drop of a hat and it's fun to eat the stupid overpriced popcorn at the movies. You know, I'm not going to give you one because like, I can't decide. <laughs> what, do you have a favorite park, uh, park snack? I love asking people what their favorite park snack is. You know, if it, again, it's a love the one you're with kind of thing, but one of the weird things that we like is the cream cheese stuffed pretzels from the lunching pad. Those are kind of awesome. And I love anytime there's, um, at the Festival of the Arts, there's this one cake they have that looks like a Mondrian painting. And it's a raspberry and almond cake that's got like these squares of, of blue and red and, and, you know, white cake. And it tastes delicious. And it's so beautiful to look at. And that's just one of the things that I always try to get when, when I'm there at that time of year. Okay, favorite onboard drink. This could be a non-alcoholic or an alcoholic drink, whichever you prefer. 
you know, I, my favorite bar is like the, the piano bars on the smaller ships. I love those. And they make those really fancy Rob Roy's, like they bring the bar cart to your table. I like that kind of like, you know, it's, it's almost feels concierge, even though you're not concierge because it's, it's custom made for you right there. I love that, that experience. Favorite onboard family activity and favorite onboard adult activity. I'm going to give the same thing for both of those and, and say trivia. My family is very, very competitive about trivia. And, um, you know, we'll go to the, we'll go to the family one. We'll go to the adult one now that my kids are older. So we, we probably do at least two trivias every day when we're on board. It probably wouldn't be fair for you to compete in Disney Cruise trivia. Let's be honest. (laughs) Like I've done it and lost like hard. Well, there are questions like how many RPMs does the the ship put out? Yeah. Yeah. I do. I've done the research. Like I know, you know, if I know I've researched like how many square, you know, square meters is the deck, whatever. Like I know that, but like not off the top of my head, you know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's why there's a book for that. Yeah. <laughs> I have to tell you, I can't tell you how many times somebody will ask me something and I have to go to my own book to look it up. <laughs> It's like, whatever. <laughs> and then one of my other favorite things is so weird that I'm saying this, um, is that I love when I'm doing research on something about Disney World and I come across the answer in an article that I've written that I've completely forgotten that I've written. (laughs) I think I've written over the, you know, the last... 10 years, probably over a thousand articles about Disney World. And it's like, oh yeah, that's a great answer. I'm glad I gave it to myself. <laughs> that's hilarious. But that's, I mean, that makes sense. Like, do I remember like a paper I wrote in high school right, right, or, you know, right. or, or in college yeah. even, you know, so yeah, no, that's funny. Okay. So last question, your pick, if you could name the second new ship, because mm-hmm. obviously we know the wish is, the wish is going to be the first of the new ships. If you could name it, not a speculation of what you think it's going to be named, but if you could name it, what would you name? Um, I think imagination, and I think that's might might be what it is. You know, the, I think imagination, adventure, that sort of thing. But I'm going to go with imagination. I was so shocked that wasn't the name of the wish, actually, because I think there was a poll or something online and it was like imagination, something else. I think wish was on there. And like it was overwhelmingly imagination was what people were were sort of saying, like, this is going to be it. A lot of people were shocked (laughs) that they picked another W one because it's like, you know, DW is no longer just Disney Wonder, it's Disney Wish. And then they have to like spell it out and, you know. I wanted the Disney imagination with figment either in the lobby or off the back. Like that's that. Excellent. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> well, Aaron, it's been super fun having you on this evening. A wealth of knowledge. I hope we can have you back sometime to talk more Disney Cruise Line. It's been just so much fun. Thank you for coming on. How can how can people find you if they want to connect? Um, they can find me on uh, touringplans.com. I'm Aaron at touringplans.com. Or you can respond to any of my articles, which are relatively frequent on there. Or I'm on Twitter at Ms. Aaron Foster, M-S. E-R-I-N-F-O-S-T-E-R. Those are probably the best ways to to get in touch with me. Awesome. And we'll, we'll put some of that in the show notes for folks if they didn't catch it while they were listening. But um, thank you so much, Aaron. It's been a, it's been real, really a lot of fun having you on tonight. Sure. I hope I didn't, didn't ramble too much. Well, it was a lot of fun having Aaron on the show tonight. It doesn't get 
much more knowledgeable than she is about Disney Cruise Line. She's literally written the book on this subject. Speaking of which, if you have not seen the unofficial guide for Disney Cruise Line, I highly recommend picking up a copy. Even if you're a frequent cruiser, there's always interesting information coming out from the unofficial guidebooks. We have them all. And so they're just a really great and fantastic resource. So highly recommend checking those out. Uh, so after tonight's show this evening, we said that we would do our drawing for the winner of the copy of the Disneyland unofficial guide from Seth Kabersky being on our show a few weeks back now. And we have done that. I have thrown all of the names of the folks who left us five-star written reviews on Apple Podcasts since the beginning of the show, actually, into a random wheel and drawn. The winner for tonight is Christy Wants to Live at WDW, who left us a review on April 11th of 2020. And so, Christy, if you are listening, please reach out to us so we can get you your fabulous prize and also send along some fun DCL Duo swag so you can show your love for the show out there. Also, just want to take an opportunity to read one of our five-star reviews that's come in of late. Thanks for everybody for leaving those. It's really helpful. It keeps us motivated to do the show. And so tonight's review comes from Shan, Disney fan 87, who writes, new listener, I'm always looking for a new Disney podcast, and especially during this time when I'm having Disney withdrawal. I really enjoyed the podcast. Very informative. Well, thanks, Shan, DisneyFan87, for the review. We really appreciate it. Again, it keeps us motivated to do the podcast. And during this time, it's helping us cope with the fact that we can't go to Disney World or Disneyland or on a Disney cruise. We've had to move a bunch of our vacations out. And so it's really helping us cope with that as well on our end. So glad you're liking it. Well, thanks again, everybody, for listening this evening. We really appreciate it out there. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast so you can keep getting great content from the DCL Duo each week. Please also leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts. Podcast. Those reviews are helpful in making the podcast more visible and they enable us to get great guests on the show like Aaron. If you'd like to send us a question or be a guest on the show, please email us at dclduo at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media at dclduo. You can also head over to the DCL Duo channel on YouTube for even more great content. And we're hoping to put up some more content there starting in the next couple of weeks. So pay attention to that. Um, there's going to be some good blog content coming up out there, we hope. DCL Duo podcast and blog are not affiliated with Disney Cruise Line, the Walt Disney Company, or the Walt Disney family of theme parks. The views expressed on the show are silly those of the individuals on the podcast and in no way reflect the views of the Walt Disney Company or Disney Cruise Line. If you have a question about a Disney cruise or a Walt Disney vacation, please contact Disney directly or your own travel agent. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time for another fabulous Disney adventure with the DCL Duo. Good night.